Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Can you see my Ian McKay picture right there? Oh, yeah. So you got a place in the desert. So I wanted to talk to you guys since the other day when we couldn't get together. L.A. schools are going to open. Hey, Sydney, what are you doing? I'm doing a podcast. I'm talking to these guys. No, I'm not doing Zoom school. I'm doing a podcast. It's a little bit like Zoom school. It is like Zoom school. What? I'm. Oh, I'm not. I, I'm not doing Zoom school. Where's mom? Are you doing the Are you doing the the Sonic race car track? Okay, go do it. Okay. So uh, I to buy myself an hour. I got a Sonic, the Sonic guy. I bought it at a garage sale for 10 bucks. Sonic race car kit. I'm sure Chuck mm. will be familiar with this. Two cars, you push the button, it goes around. It never works very good, but it, hours of frustration. <laughs> Keep them busy and thinking. <laughs> Cheap toys are the way that kids find out life sucks. I bought a 3D printer for my 12-year-old thinking like it would be very just you know because it said it was simple and everything it's like running a fucking spaceship even man. adults don't know how to use them yeah she keeps going let's use the printer let's use the them yeah okay <laughs> it's read the directions I don't okay know. everybody bug says so, but hi i want to get together with you i want to get together with you because la unified backed down from my demands they they crumbled la unified school district is opening in second week of april Elvis will be back in the classroom. Now, get this, Chuck. There's an article today in the LA Times. Like, I was so excited. They buckled. They gave in. The teachers union gave in. The kids are going back to school. Hurrah, hurrah. The parents don't want their kids to go back to school. Only 17% of kids or something. That's ridiculous. No, that can't is be this, right. Is this the end of public education in Los Angeles? I, I can't uh, imagine. I can't imagine that anybody. Maybe it's would... a, it, Well, Elvis doesn't want to go back now. We talked but, to him today. Said you're going back uh, first, second week of uh, April, and he doesn't want to go back. He goes, Zoom school is so much better. I said, not seeing your friends and not being around your friends. He goes, I see them on the screen. I think we're doomed. <laughs> no. I think we're doomed. We're doomed. Hey, Bob, is nah. it? But is it only two days a week? Because ours is only two days a week. Or yeah, so, two days so, a week. Yeah, two my 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 high schooler says, you know what? It's not even worth it. It's six weeks. It's two of the classes I don't have any of my friends in. It's um, the te- you can't even talk to the teachers. There was all these weird things, and she goes, "I'll just go to the Zoom, and the next year I'll go to full time school." Yeah, so they're same- get, Chuck, Chuck. So I don't know what Huntington Beach is doing, but they're elite, in LA Unified. They're leaving it up to the parents to decide to finish out in Zoom school or go back to school. And so far, only seventeen percent of families want to go back to school. Oh, that's, so that's uh, crazy. I guess that's I guess that's their choice, right? You know. So, but I I don't understand it. I mean, Bug has been two hours a day, two and a half hours a day, four days a week for the last. I don't know how long, and it's going. And by the, I think by the end of the month, he's going to be going to um, five days a week. And I know that our our listeners in Wisconsin and Texas and New York just can't imagine what we're talking about. It goes too fast. It, it was. It's, Daddy, it was because we did it. 
the guardrails. Yeah, you putting them on? Yeah. See, I'm not a guardrails guy, Sid. <laughs> well, that's kind of it in a nutshell. What do you know about What do you know about Bob Forrest? Well, he's not a guardrails kind of guy. <laughs> well, the track. You know how those like little electric car tracks? Right? They come with the guardrails. They're so complicated to put on. I'm like, fuck it, doesn't need guardrails. And then the cars kept flying off the track. So then Chrissy, my wonderful wife, took over and she's putting the guardrails on. I don't think it's going to stop the cars from flying off, just so you know. But we'll see. No, anyways, it does is 17%, the 17%, 17%, uh, like it never would, in a question in my mind, my kid needs to go back to school. He needs to get the fuck out of the house. He needs to go. Like, right. I don't get, like, maybe can, Zoom school is more convenient. Like, you, you know, know but, and I, but we had people do that with our, with our beach meeting where for like three or four weeks, we weren't allowed on the beach, you know, legally. So we went to a Zoom thing and then some of the people just live far enough away and it was easier to not get out of bed on a Sunday morning and get down and they've stayed on Zoom and that's fine for them you know but I it's wonder just if like, that's what we're gonna have are we gonna have an integration of real life and artificial life human intelligence artificial intelligence life where we just me, don't baby. go to like I'm not crazy about going to work but I, I mean I do like going there but eventually you know once a state lets us do groups which I don't know when that is um they're starting to I guess but the people in Milwaukee and the people in Texas and people in New York those are three groups of people I know listen to us they must think that we're out of our minds they've had school for months mm -hmm. right and California I mean it's, it's they needed the CDC to say kids don't transmit, kids are safe, schools are safe, schools are safer than supermarkets, and still California didn't want to reopen its schools. But oh, I just you know wonder, who, you know who that is. Yeah, but I just wonder: is it going to be like what you said with your meeting? Are some people just going to stay home and be on the screen all the time? I, I just think it's such a sad existence. But I guess, I guess that's what people are going to do because it's so inconvenient. This is another thing about convenience and inconvenience. Um, it's an inconvenience to live 70 miles from my work. But it's <laughs> wonderful for my kids to grow up in the middle of the wilderness. So, you, so it's inconvenient for me. So what? Why is everybody, everything got to be so convenient? And aren't drugs a reflection of that? conveniently if you're depressed or you're the loser or you don't be a failure to launch or you don't know what you want in life or you're kind of lost and and traumatized and and uh, you know just just an empty vessel really drugs will <laughs> drugs are a convenient way of just numbing it all away or just moving it all around and we're a society that just wants convenience and just wants to feel good you know, we're just, a, a I guess, good. I guess staying home and not being out in traffic and not seeing your coworkers and dealing with, you know, idiots at the gas station and, and all the frustrations of everyday modern life. I guess it's more desirable just to not participate in that, but then let's get down to it. And, and sobriety is a spiritual thing. You guys, then what is existence? What is it? Is it just sitting on your couch and zooming at work and then watching TV and staying in your house and, and just 
Is that what existence is? Is that what we've come to as Western civilization? That's the ideal to never leave your home and never see anybody and never be uncomfortable and never be frustrated and never be angry and never be anything but happy and content. And, and it just seems like a jack off to me. It life is not convenient. No, it shouldn't be. We all have fucking (laughs) kids. Are kids having kids convenient? No fucking way is it. Well, Bob, right? this is what this is what the people that have been uh, touting the new world order, the new world order, the new world order. That's what they that's what they've been saying. They've been saying that this is all a plan to keep us inside the house, and the new world order is just to. But you have to fight against it. Like, yeah, do I say so too. Yeah, I, I think you got to fight against it. I I'll be the first one out. I'm first one out. First one. I'll drive. I'll drive Elvis to school this weekend. I told my kids, I'm not feeding you unless you go with me to the park. You didn't just throw bread at him, did you? Everyone at home, the the (laughs) parenting 101, the parenting guide, Mike Mars parenting guide. Try it. Tell them you will not feed them unless they go to the park. Try it. If you have like a young teenager. Let's let's start making the rules of Mike, the parenting rules of Mike. They were like, no, I don't want to go. No, I don't want to go outside. No. And I said, okay, well, fine. I'm not feeding you until you go with me to the park. You know what? Next Saturday, take them down to the beach, down to Sea Salt. There's bands playing all day. That's a nightmare, though, dude. Have you seen it down there? That is a complete nightmare. Man said we're at the beach yesterday. I got to say that I do like spending more time with my family, but not just glued to a screen like you know, like as if I'm not here. We went, me and Sid went to the beach yesterday and it was cold as fuck. I'm telling you, whatever that disease is where a kid doesn't feel pain, Sydney has that. She yes. went in the ocean yesterday when it was 51 degrees in the air. So imagine how cold the water was. No wetsuit, no nothing. And she was running in the water, jumping in the water and sitting down in the water going, it's so cold. It's so cold. I was just like, she's got, let me, I want to prick her with a pin to see if it hurts. That's that's just cool. That is so cool. Because she hurts herself pretty bad. She'll fall off of a high place and get a bad bruise. And immediately she stands up and says, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, you know, can you imagine now what's going to happen to her, you guys, in our society? She fell about six feet off this cliff by our, this, you know, this, you know, little cutoff by our house. You know, she was walking and she missed a step and she fell six feet down, hit thump on the ground. And she stood right up and said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. So I, I think that, it's her all way of, of not being embarrassed. She always says she's okay. She fell into the swimming pool at our friend's house a couple of weeks ago. She thought, she thought it was like a little, you know, 12 inch thing that you step down in and it was pool. And she just uh-huh. went straight to the bottom. And I was luckily there and caught her and brought, brought her back up. Soon as she got up out of the water, she's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Now, how does that child, become a victim of everything within 20 years. How is that? How will she expect the government to give her money and, and expect, you know, that people treat her with respect when she hasn't accomplished shit and they'll, everyone has to respect her opinion. And if they don't, it hurts her feelings. How does it go from I'm okay. I'm okay. 
and enjoying life and just the wonder of childhood to this pathetic generation of 20-year-olds that we have. How does it go to that? <laughs> Chuck, I, I defer to you. Don't you think a lot of that's in the, the kids' makeup and the way they're raised? I think, you know, there's so much that's environmental. You know, there's a little bit of genetics and there's a little bit of environmental and there's a little bit of who knows, whatever it is that goes on between their ears. But, you know, it's just like we I just came off a, um, a Zoom meeting where, um, where the topic was the resentment. Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, hold on. Sonic and Knuckles yeah. are what? Oh, you got to wiggle them around. Make sure they're in the groove of the slot machine, the slot, the slot car thing. <laughs> so the slot machine next. The slot, slot, the, you know, the little, you know, those cars. Yep. They used to have places. Remember, they used to have places that were really dope that had these slot machine, these slot cars. And you could go there with your car and go around on the big track. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. There yeah, was one was in uh, Huntington Beach off Brookhurst and Garfield. Here she comes again. Oh, what do I need to say? You the, the white parkers in the middle and the two silver things need to go on those silver lines. That's the electricity goes through the silver. Yeah, C, C. Are yeah, you alone so, up there, Bob? No, uh, Chrissy's here somewhere, but she is nine months pregnant, so I'm, I'm not really complaining. Oh, I, Elvis, I, I, Elvis, Elvis is doing that thing that every, the, all the kids do now. He's on a phone talking to his friends on a group call while they all play Minecraft. What are you doing? That's absolutely not true. Who are you talking to on the phone and playing Minecraft? I do other things. Play piano to show that you do something other than video games. This is Elvis Forrest about to take over the piano. Oh, nice. That was awesome. Awesome. All right, get out of here. I'm doing a podcast. You're live on the air right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not really live. We still haven't totally got could that you, podcast. Was that thing blown understood. out, Mike, or could you hear that? No, it sounded great, man. He's really so good. So good, man. He's so fucking He's good. He's so much better than you, Bob. <laughs> He's 10 years, 10 years old. He can play piano better than most people I know that are in bands. It's crazy. Anyway, so the idea is to have, you know, a little bit of screen time, a little bit of piano, a little bit of riding bikes, a little bit of mountain climbing. And I just, I, yeah, I guess what you're saying, Chuck, I fear for the world destroying her and making her into a victim. I really do. I really do. But we play a big part in that, right? We really, we really do. You know that we've talked about that a bunch of times where we walk them through it. We don't, we don't do it for them. We walk them through the challenges and they learn how to navigate the things. And I know a lot of beautiful people that made it to adulthood without becoming anything other than who they are. 
And you know, do, a lot do, of them do you think back, back when we were starting drugs, I was not a victim. I didn't have a victim mentality. I had a let's fucking party mentality. It was a positive thing. I, I say this all the time and, and clinicians and addicts just act like I'm from Mars or a dinosaur. We were, <laughs> we were just having fun. It wasn't to escape our parents. And I think the recovery industry and the insurance industry encourages that because the only way you can get treatment is if you're like a bipolar, trauma surviving, confused, uh, suicidal, poly substance abuser. That's the only way you can get 30 days of treatment is if you're that. It's a lot, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder if there's not, you're right. If they're not, uh, coexisting disorders or if they're not um but some of the older ones the ones that come in that aren't 20 they have a lot more fun because they don't skip from taking a hit off a joint to smoking oxys to eating xanax and being bummed out and listening to bummer music and just living bummer existences and then you get to a a place that wants to use evidence-based treatment instead of just you know suck it up buttercup and uh, quit doing dope and get a job and get a place to live, find a, find a mate of some sort and get on with your life. Instead, there's this, you know, that's right. That was really bad. What happened to you? You should really think about that for a long time. And we, we didn't, we didn't go through that. I'm glad we didn't go through that because that stuff, you know, it, and I don't have the heavy, heavy trauma that a lot do. You're talking about the progression, which I started seeing 15 years ago. So you would have, Like I didn't even, I did heroin one time when I was 19. I remember it with Top Jimmy. It's in the movie, Bob and the Monster. That was the first time I ever did it. I was sick for a day and a half. I was like, oh, I got to stay away from that. And then I didn't do it until like I was 22, 23. Like literally didn't do heroin again for three years. And then slowly started doing it. But mostly I was just into drinking and snorting coke and party drugs. And I remembered that in 1996, when I got sober, I was three months sober. I saw Rage Against the Machine. It's the first time I'd seen them in like six years, seven years since they started, right? Or eight years, maybe. I don't even know. And I realized, and I was, it was at the Tibetan Festival in San Francisco. And I realized, I Flea said, how long? Have you seen Rage? And I was like, yeah, I saw him years ago at the Gaslight. At the Gaslight, Mike. How, how many people did the Gaslight hold? 150? Mm, Mike yeah, Mark? 75, maybe. Yeah, not even 200. No way. So last time I'd seen Rage Against the Machine was at the Gaslight, a little 150-person club, maybe even less than that, 120 and then they walked out on stage at the Tibetan Fest in San Francisco and there was 100,000 people and they hit the first note. And the, I swear to God, 70 of the 100,000 people jumped up in the air. It was the <laughs> craziest thing I ever saw in my life. And it was just because their music just goes to jumping. You know what I mean? Like, bam, bam, bam. Um, so it, it's just, it's crazy how much fun and how much... I, I didn't feel like I was escaping anything. I was adventuring into something. I was looking into something, 
into living on the edge, into not listening to your parents, into fuck society, into I'm going to live my own way. And I'm comparing and contrasting what Anthony and Fleer's doing and saying, what Mike Mart's doing and saying, what Pleasant Gammon's doing and saying, what John Doe and Xena are doing and saying. And I'm, and I'm finding my way of living. Mm-hmm. Now the There's kids aren't doing that. that anymore. No. They're no, but not. you also had drive, though, too. You also left the desert. You left your parents' house. You know what I mean? You 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 went places. But you did things. Did. But everybody no, did. No, not like, everybody. Just, in Look at the kids. Seventy nine. Everybody left home when they were eighteen. You're either going to college or you're getting a job and you're getting out on your or own. Or earlier or sooner. I mean, I left earlier than I, that. You know? I was eighteen and seventy nine. I've lived on my own since since my second half of my senior year of high school in 1979. So from probably like I turned 18 in February, probably from like March of 79 until now, I have never lived at my parents' house. Well, we didn't have video games. Otherwise we would have just, <laughs> we would have just been in our, we would have hidden in a bedroom and we would have been already qualified for this life of do nothing. Cause we're used to sitting idle for hours and hours and hours at a time. I mean, I, I thought that, uh, you know, my social anxiety like keeps me from going to a lot of places where I get uptight, but I go everywhere I can now because uh, as much as I love my home environment, I've got to go places. If I take them great. If I don't, I go. It's, it's just, I think it's human nature to want to like, you know, be a hunter and collector, get out there and see things. It's just not a. It, 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 yeah. You got, yeah. You got to go kill something, bring it back to the cave. That's what George the, the, Carlin used to say. The kids are not having the same experience we had. Definitely. It's well, how do we help do them have some similar experience? So I'll tell you what Elvis said today in the car. He said, Dad, I see my friends and talk to my friends more now than I did in real life. So that's what we're, that's how we're seeing this. As pre-COVID was real life and during COVID is non-real life. It's a mutation of real life. But he says, and like what I was saying, he was doing, they're on the phone, like two or three of them on the phone, not even looking, they're FaceTiming, but they're not even looking at each other. And they're all playing Minecraft together and they're talking. It's really very similar to just being in a room with somebody playing Minecraft. That's what I find frightening about. This is not healthy. This is not good. No, you need to be in the same room with people. You need to be with people. You need to, uh, you know, so hopefully LA Unified, you know, more parents will want to do it, but I'm, I'm there, whatever day it is. I'm there. I'm there on time for the first time in two years. How about that Chuck? Yeah, I will good be for there you. with Elvis in the back seat, and I will pull up to drop off like at five minutes to eight. Because usually I get there about eight thirty. I gotta admit, Chuck, I gotta admit. You know oh. what I did as a junkie move? You know what I did as a junkie move? I talked to his kindergarten teacher. This was four years ago, and I said, "What time is it that the that the report goes in that you get a tardy uh, slip?" And she goes, "Well, I, I do that." after the beginning she said robert what are you trying to do say and i said well i'm just because i know 8 25 he gets reported tardy because you call me a, a, a phone robo call calls me saying my child was tardy today but then some days i don't get that call so i'm just trying to find where the sweet spot is. <laughs> Yeah. Is it, is it like, because 
because school starts at 805. I'm like, can you get there at like 816? And then it's not reported tardy? Like, what is the and she's she walked away from me at the open house meeting. Just uh-huh. walked are, away from me. Are you trying to avoid the worst drivers in the world? Because the people dropping off kids in the morning are the worst drivers in the world. Well, I female usually don't wait in the line. I don't wait in the line. No, I park That's in a red so spot and walk them up. There's a red yeah. spot that I'm not afraid to park in for no, three know, minutes and walk them well, up. Well, you know, you know what I do? I, I pull into the... <laughs> no, you don't I park in do. staff parking. I park in staff parking. Oh, you. It's hey. a handicapped one. Oh, my God. <laughs> a handicapped staff. Good for you. <laughs> but it only takes like one minute, doesn't it? It's like 90 seconds to get out of the car, get them to the uh, front yeah. gate. Okay, you know, like 90, 90, 120 seconds at the most. Two minutes at the most. What harm could it do? I, I hope none, ever. I mean, because I, I, I get it. I, I park in a, in a weird spot just because I don't want to deal with the insanity of everybody being brainless with their car full of kids and trying you don't to drop think them with, off. But wait, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to get attacked for this, but do you, do you think there's a possibility if I have all these diagnoses of mental illness that, that I could, that I should be able to park in the front? Don't you think? I think that, I think they'd take your license away is what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you, 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 could, you went, would park nowhere. I told them, <laughs> if I told them I'm, you know, gravely emotionally disturbed, a major depressions with suicide, with suicide ideation. Yeah. Um, and and uh, 20 year poly substance abuse. You think? Because that's one of the funniest things. So when I was trying to get sober in 95, I got sober in 96. But in 95, I applied for, I think I've told Mike this, I applied for lifetime um, whatever disability due to drug addiction. Right. With the, and it was your wonderful County of Orange, Chuck, that I applied for because I was living at my sister's house on 6161 Gene Drive in Huntington Beach. And because uh, I remember her address because she had the same address my whole life, really. So I needed an address when I applied in Santa Ana for the disability. And uh, I gave it that address and I kept going by there with my, you know, situation, whatever car I had, a, had a, you know had borrowed and uh i go by there and say susan is there is there a thing like it looks like a formal thing in the mail for me and uh she would say no you know what what is it and i was like well it's this thing because i'm you know i'm trying to get disability i didn't tell her it was permanent disability i just Mm -hmm. said it was disability you know because i got in an accident or something finally i got it i remember the day I got it. I opened it because I thought this was going to, I think at the time you got like $960 a month and, uh, and some sort of uh, housing subsidy and food stamps. And it was my whole plan for like four months to become permanently disabled because of drug addiction. And, and you know who told me about this, Mike Mart? Tomato no. de Plenty. Tomato oh, de Plenty really? had this. Yes. Hmm. And so... And I opened it and I was denied. I was denied <laughs> permanent disability for drug addiction. And I remember saying, like, if I can't, I'm not permanently disabled from drug addiction, who the fuck is? Seriously. <laughs> who well, then nobody is? better get this. <laughs> nobody better get this. Anthony Kiedis better not get this. Like, I'm the worst of the worst. Who qualifies for this then? If not, not me. 
I'm, I think I was on methadone program and, you know, I had all the, all the bells and whistles filled out. Like Chuck, this thing was fucking filled out. You should have done face Mental tattoos. Health. Then, then they, they would have oh, helped really? you out <laughs> with not being able to find work. It's a, <laughs> it, it qualifies you for unemployment because you can't get and a I job just, anywhere. I think about that. Like my ultimate goal in life in like June of 1995 was to qualify to be permanently disabled. Thank God like you didn't get it. That's a low bar. That's the <laughs> way I run my county, man. <laughs> We're not just giving this stuff out to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they have that mailing address. I, then I started, uh, you know, second guessing. Oh, I shouldn't have used Susan's mailing address. I should have known somebody in Santa Ana or somebody in Westminster. <laughs> I shouldn't have been in like because she lives like in uh, what you call it, the harbor, the Huntington Harbor. Oh, Huntington like, Harbor. Ah, yeah. yeah, right outside of that. I was like, ah, fuck. They probably looked up the zip code. Nobody qualifies in that zip code. That's <laughs> <laughs> is that how it works you're only handicapped well how could i not qualify i'd been homeless for like two years i had been unemployed for five i had been on methadone for a year and a half i had been in 20 rehabs i don't know what more you need i had psychiatric letters i had all these kind of stuff like why would i not qualify for permanent disability it's incredible to me still to this day. I'm still thinking I missed the boat on that, Chuck. I could be sitting in some fucking housing voucher place in Huntington Beach playing video games right now. Not a care in the world. <laughs> You'd probably be so good by now. You'd probably be able to whoop Elvis. <laughs> so if it's genetics, what did you say, Chuck? Genetics? So it's biology and right. it's so sociology. And, right. and it's and it's parenting. I never thought of parenting as a component of addiction, but now I'm starting to see that it is. It definitely is. It definitely is. I don't know if scientists agree, but it seems like uh, the different kids receive different kinds of parenting and they end up different. When you've got big age gaps in, in uh, kids with the same parents, the same city, the same schools, the same ideals, it's the change in the parenting styles that seems to be the big difference. You had a lot more freedom than, than your older siblings. Yeah, for sure. I was, well, what I was considered was spoiled. But then I had what meets all the criteria of trauma. My dad killed himself when I was 15. My sister's my mother. Those are pretty big markers, right. aren't they, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, you know what? I feel bad. I'm going to call my people over at the county and get that parking thing for you and some money going. <laughs> you have people over there, don't you? Well, you got Tito. <laughs> Tito's your buddy, isn't he? Yeah. Tito help me out? Yeah, I don't know. Give him a call. Is Tito on permanent disability? He should be. You know, we just had an <laughs> MMA. We just, we just had an MMA guy come in and, and he was with us for a few days and then he left treatment. And on his thing, you know, on the, the BPS, it said, uh, you know, concussions. And he said, too many can't count that high. Oh <laughs> and it's a cause MMA. Can't count. Can't, <laughs> it's, my concussions have caused me so much brain damage. I can't count that high. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, punch drunk happened a long time ago. But when you get hit How that hard. Concussions? Let's, let's do concussion thing because Drew is, Drew is obsessed with brain injury and concussion causing addiction. What, Mike, how many concussions do you think you've got? You've had? Uh, like, oh, I, know I, have, I have no idea. Hard ones. 
I have no idea. Well, you had to. That time you passed out on stage in San Francisco, your head hit the ground so hard. Yeah. Uh, that was one really? for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, one time I did fall out of the back of a pickup truck drinking wine and uh, rolled for about two blocks. Maybe I got a concussion then. I don't know. And then you but got motorcycle accidents, I got didn't a you? few motorcycle accidents. Yeah, one right in front of Okie Dog. So, oh, really? I almost died in front of Okie Dog. No, yeah. not Okie Dog, in front of Pink's, Pink's on La Brea. Um, yeah. So what you think, what, Mike, four or five concussions? Yeah, maybe. Serious yeah, ones? Sure, sure. And then, Mike, you had only one dose of endocarditis? One? One, one endocarditis, yes. Yeah, one really bad one, yeah. And then how many really, like, poo-your-pants ODs have you had? <laughs> uh, never pooed my pants, but ODs... Released your, released your urine. I don't know. It's what I've think... always been told. When you really flatline, all is released from your body. And I only had that happen one time. So I only really died one time. I was still must have had a little bit of a pulse, though the people around me, the people around me thought I was dead. I was far too sophisticated to relieve myself in my clothes, <laughs> Bob. Uh, uh, even, we'll never get a, even we'll never when get an answer no because he's just your body. Uh, there was a few times at Disgraceland that I went out real bad and uh, turned blue, and uh, um, they just took me to the Zero Club. They just put me in the car and said he'll be fine, and put me took me to the Zero Club, where and then and then 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 dumped me on a couch in the they Zero took Club. Took you to an after hours bar? Yeah, Iris and Pleasant and <laughs> Clam. That's, is that a Chuck? I'm I'm. I'm, did I miss that class? Is that a way to revive somebody who's overdosed? Is that what well, that, you know, that was they, replaced with listen, ice? They in didn't the want. They didn't want. They didn't want to leave me alone, so they took me with them, <laughs> like being the good junkies that they were. So five concussions, one endocarditis, a couple of ODs. I would say three yeah, ODs. Okay. Yeah, and the endocarditis really almost sunk me. I'm really one bad. OD, one serious suicide attempt where I really wanted to die and I did what is necessary to die and it didn't work. And then probably about three concussions. One, I was with Scott Morrow in New York City and we got in a car accident. Like he, I, I don't know what, what happened. I, so much, I, so much I know the 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 kind of a main event but i don't know the details chuck are you like that with your life i know the main event of the night i just don't know what the details are i'll tell yeah. you what the main events of this night were we saw grandmaster flash dj at a bowling alley in new york nice. city in 1984 wow i also went through the windshield of the car and no, that was I a wasn't bad even, choice and i wasn't even hurt it didn't even, I had a big lump on my forehead, but it was crazy. And then he was pissed that his windshield was all broken, right? And he wouldn't let me stay at his house. And I didn't have Wait, you went from stay. inside out through the windshield? Right out. My, I broke through and it broke the windshield and you could reach the outside with your finger. I didn't go sailing through it, but all the way to the out to crack the windshield all the way through and you could see my head impression in the windshield 
like, you know, like a five inch divot, like you put a cantaloupe through it, right? <laughs> Which is what I had is yeah. like. <laughs> and, and I don't remember really if we hit something in that cause, but he was mad at me about the windshield. I remember that. And uh, that was the beginning of Thelonious Monster. That oh. was it. Um, because because uh, I had, was rodeoing for the Chili Peppers and they fired me. And then I wandered around New York City. Then Scott was there doing something. I don't know what. And I hung out with him. Then I went to Bill Stobow's parents' house in Boston. And then I flew home to L.A. And we started Thelonious Monster within weeks of that. So... 80 i think we had rehearsed but we hadn't got written songs or i don't know what it was but but so that was definitely a concussion because my head stuck out like two inches in my forehead like a knot so that one and then you know i had another car accident in texas where i hit a pole for no reason don't you hate that chuck <laughs> like uh, those poles in texas are dicks yeah, poles. Like, <laughs> they got a lot of poles in Texas. Yeah. Bastards. Like, one time I was driving back from Sacramento, a gig in Sacramento, and we were staying in San Francisco, and I drove my car. Mike, you might have been there. We played in Sacramento, but we had, we had played in, I think we played in Berkeley Square. Then we were going to play in Sacramento and then play Sacramento on the Friday night. And I think that we decided, or Pete decided to, like, Let's stay in San Francisco, just check out of the motel in Berkeley, drive to Sacramento, play, and then drive to San Francisco and be there for two nights or something. So I was driving back to San Francisco like at one o'clock in the morning and I fell asleep and I woke up just in a field off the right of the freeway that comes in from Livermore. No one around. It was like four or five in the morning as, you know, dew on the grass. It was really actually beautiful. And the sun was coming up and I was just like, oh, nothing happened. <laughs> right. And I was like considerably off the road, like 40 yards off the road in farm, you know, in farm dirt. And, you know, remember my pacer, Mike, when I had a pacer? Yes, I do. That pacer car. That was it. And I just, you know, I got out and I kind of figured out how to drive it and push it and get it out of the dirt and get it back to the side of the road and get on the freeway and go back, go to San Francisco and have some fun with DH Pelegra. Wait a second. You had an AMC pacer, one of those big yes. window cars. Yeah. I loved it. It was the greatest car. Ever. Did you have a gremlin too, or just the pacer? No, I had that. And that pacer came a V6. I believe that car was badass. <laughs> but you know, what was crazy about that, that, that uh because i used to take that on tour because i didn't like riding with guys and pants i just never really took to it like so many people do uh mike didn't either mike used to ride a motorcycle behind the band yeah right <laughs> that's yeah. to god mike did all mike did like 1500 miles riding his motorcycle behind the van yeah nice it was better than being in it everybody <laughs> fighting <laughs> if we were playing san francisco or san diego i'd drive in my regular car the pacer and so Dix wanted to ride up with me to San Francisco one time. It was really hot. And of course, you know, it's my pace. So the air conditioning doesn't work, Chuck. He just rolled the windows down. So Dix is in the back. It's like literally two in the afternoon driving up the five. It's 105 degrees. Mm -hmm. And those, those way those windows are, are, are kind of rounded in the back of a pacer. 
it yeah, really like- is <laughs> like when you use a, a magnifying glass to startle the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was just sweating so much in the back seat. Like, and his lips were turning purple. I was like, Dixon, you okay? And he's like, yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> I just remember, like, we need to get you some water. And we pulled over and, like, got water. And he was sitting back there just cooking in that. And that's something I'm sure they didn't test at the AMC plant. Like, hey, these cool-looking rounded <laughs> windows yeah. in a 105-degree burning hot sun, do they magnify? I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> right? That was an interesting car. But the, <clears throat> the reason why I bring all this up, this was all fun. This wasn't because we're victims. This wasn't because we were neglected or, or it just wasn't. And that whole component of modern diction addiction diagnosis and a modern addiction mentality that everyone's a, everyone's poor, poor everyone. It doesn't work. It doesn't serve the addict to turn their life around. It doesn't serve. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work. I don't know what therapies work in a 30, 60, 90 day period of time. Cause even if you got 90 days, your first week is detox and then the next couple of weeks are still kind of cloudy. So, I mean, you're talking about an, a full 90 day treatment. How effective can a once a week therapy be? I mean, those are the kind of things people do for lifelong. I mean, there's some, I've heard some horrible things and I know you have too. And I know that people need therapy for those things, but not for like the kind of stuff where, Oh, my dad never threw the ball with me or, you know, like the kind of, trauma that we all have trauma with a little t you know that's the way it was explained to me is trauma with a big t trauma with a little t and and the difference between the two that um like m- most of what i experienced was trauma with a little t here's the thing i have trauma with big t uh, there's no doubt about it the you know sexually abused by a neighborhood kid my dad killed himself when i was 15 my sister's my mother there's big t trauma there Mm-hmm. I just never felt like be, being boo-hoo about it is going to get me anywhere, right? Now, addressing it later in life, I really didn't address the, uh, the ways that I feel untrusting of people um, until I was like eight years sober. I literally, like I just went along like you do this, you do that, you get them you don't complain you'd get a job you do the best you can if you hate your job get it try to get a better job and and you do what you're supposed to do and you treat people with kindness and whatever but this whole new thing that i think and i hate to say it i think celebrity rehab dr drew had something to do with it i that's really why i i feel so focused on i think what we created this false narrative that because you were big T traumatized and then later little T traumatized that, that somehow that makes you incapacitated and it does not. And that wasn't my intention that, 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 that wasn't Dr. Drew's intention. He's more harsh than I am. So maybe here's the honest truth. Maybe that stuff is just good television and it had such a negative effect where everybody thinks they have to boo-hoo in order to get attention or to be justified in treatment. I don't know, but I'm really focused on that because it's been a long time since I dealt with addicts. It's, you know, one-on-one. I started doing it about a month ago or 
two, no, like three months ago, started case managing some people and stuff. And I just, I don't know how to talk anymore. Cause I just, I can't play that game. Oh yeah. That's so sad. Like, it's not sad. It's <laughs> fucked up. It happened. It happened a long time ago. I don't know that it's sad. Right. It just is. It is a, whatever. I got to take the client's word at face value. It is. A, it is true, I guess. But it's not sad. It just is. And what you're going to do with your life has nothing to do with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think I think you have a really good point there. Like I had a client who just came back through. But the, the first time he came through. He had suffered PTSD from being in Afghanistan. And oh, my God. In well, that's had, a whole different category. That, okay. that shouldn't be dealt with by wavelengths. Okay, now, now wait a second. Ridiculous. Wait a second. Wait a second. Well, let me finish. Because, first of all, it was one of those things where he didn't want to deal with it. He wanted to get an outside uh, psychotherapist and do all this stuff. And we said, that's great. Let's hook you up with. Uh, let's hook you up with. with I with agree the, with that. You agree let, with that? That's the way to go. Let's go to the veterans hospital. Then we he's he's having a hard time getting a hold of any veteran, uh, any support from the veterans groups. Then we find out from his mom he had never been in the military. What? So this last. So this last time. That's crazy. Right. (laughs) That's ingenious. What are you talking about? (laughs) But he he was able to. I know. You know what, Chuck? Hold on one second. You know what Mike just experienced? God, I wish I would have thought of that. That's like the perfect. (laughs) That's what Mike is experiencing right now. Mike, you can. It's not too late for you. You can start saying that. Like at Starbucks, say, I'm a veteran. Do I get a discount? (laughs) But, you know, but this time something happened where he went out there where he was able to change friends and change environments enough to where he was able to get back to his original story, which is just his life the way it was. And this time when he came in, you know, on the BPS, it asked the questions, what, what are your legal background? Do you have any legal situations? What's your education? And do you have any military experience? And he just put no from the jump. That's crazy. That's a good scam. I mean, I've seen that before. I've seen that before, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I saw it like 20 years ago. Well, we've uh, got, we've got 70, we've got 70 people and they cycle out every, you know, however often I've seen a lot of cases and and a a couple over my four years, it's been like four years that I've been there now, Bob. Thank you. I know. And um, so it's like uh, uh, a couple of these people have come back, you know, that's just the way it, you know, it cycles these days. You see them, they do, they, they run their course of treatment. They leave, they get drunk on the way home on the plane, (laughs) you know, they get, uh, you know, they get a good run in them and then they come back. But, but this guy, you know, it's just, it doesn't cease to amaze me that, that people want to have the bigger, better trauma story because that's the way it goes. The stories we used to tell was like how much dope we did, how many times we got chased by cops, uh, you know, how much time we spent in jail or how we ditched or how we got out of doing jail, all that stuff. But now it's like, it's a, it's about who's got the biggest, baddest trauma. Yeah. And, and the whole thing. And they're liars by different. nature. So it's it just like, different. you know, or exaggerators, let's call them exaggerators, by exaggerate exaggerators by nature. No, they're so, poor historians, Bob. They're poor historians. And, and uh, you know, when you talk about car chase. So my friend, my sponsor, I won't say his name. Well, Floyd, his name is. But uh, <laughs> he, he was my sponsor after Gloria Scott died. 
and um, and he got away in a car chase. That 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 like right away. I just I just totally respect this guy, totally. <laughs> and his way of doing it was driving to the Beverly Center, and and he knew you got to ditch this car before they fucking get a helicopter on you. That's what all people need to know in that situation. You got to get to a place where you can get out of the car before the helicopter gets on you. Because when that helicopter gets on you, you're dust, right? I, am I the only person that roots for the for the chased car? <laughs> it, 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 depend, it depends on where they are. If they're on the freeway, I'm fine. When they're going 60, 70 miles an hour through neighborhoods, I get, I get upset and yeah, I don't want them to win anymore. Up. Yeah, there's so there's yeah, rules. I, but, there's rules to a respectable car chase. I've always wondered why nobody's thought to drive to LAX where it's a big circle. The helicopter can't fly into LAX and then run they into do. the wow, terminal. Mike, look at Mike's really thought it out. <laughs> they do. They hit them with trackers now too, where all they have to do is get up close enough behind them, where they hit them with a tracker and it sticks to the back of the car and they can gps them what i haven't yeah there hasn't been many lately there hasn't there hasn't been a lot there hasn't been a lot of car chase since covid but back in the day in the in the early 2000s um what there was an app that could tell you there's a car chase and you could run to a tv and this was before phones were so sophisticated but you it would tell you there's a car chase going on and you could watch a car chase, you know, in L.A., uh, somewhere in L.A. And now it's it's uh, over with. But I, I just when you said car chase, get away that I, I um I never got away. That was one thing I was not good at getting away. So that's I was arrested <laughs> 19 times. <laughs> right. I end up in single vehicle accidents. You know, I'm, that's I'm the, the other thing. Hey, it. you and Tiger Woods. You know, I was talking about Tiger Woods the other day. Like, I don't know who's believing this bullshit about him, but last time you saw the guy uh, in a car, he was fucked up out of his mind driving down to Texas or Florida road with no tires. And he was falling <laughs> over and he was given for DUI. Now, driving down a, a sunny morning, no one around him. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. He was no uh, intoxication, like, well, are you considering prescription drugs when you're looking at, at uh, this sort of thing? Yeah, probably he probably not. didn't have he probably didn't have a crack pipe and heroin with him, but for sure he was impaired. I mean, I can't imagine people. In, and the thing about Tiger Woods is people hated him ten, twenty years ago. Then they kind of felt sorry for him ten years. Then they loved him when he won the Masters, and now he's showing the signs that if if I got in that accident, they go, "Oh, the guy's." That's Bob Forrest from Celebrity Rehab. He must have relapsed and be on drugs. That's what they'd be saying before they pulled me out of the car. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, he's on the upswing huh? in his pub. He's on the upswing in his public life. America loves a comeback story. As much as they love that, they're, he's going to be taken back down again. That's the thing about heroes, man. They were like kit gloves on this. And, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm only saying this because I know I heard the first announcement on the news. It wasn't life-threatening injuries. So I knew, okay, well, that's great. That problem solved. I don't care how much recovery he has to do. It's his business. It's not my problem. I'm glad he didn't die because he has children. And, but it was just amazing how it just, the statement within like five hours was he was not impaired. Okay, then what is the other 
whatever reason that you would just crash across the freeway (laughs) and and flip your car over. You had good reason to drive off the road on the way back from San Francisco. (laughs) You were impaired. (laughs) Yeah, I was impaired. I was tremendously impaired, Chuck, that night. I don't know how I even got behind the wheel of a car. You know why I got behind the wheel of the car? It was your turn. I had to get to San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because because I had gotten so drunk in Sacramento, I had to get to San Francisco to get some Coke. That was my focus. Uh, It actually was the best of intentions. If they had had cocaine, if they had had cocaine in Sacramento, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, their fault. It's It's really Sacramento's fault that that happened. You should hate Sacramento forever for that. Well, no, it had this really great <laughs> club called One Step Beyond, I think. No, that was in San Jose. The Sacramento one was called the Rebel Yell. It was a club. Mike, do you remember? Yeah. And it had the idol, yes, painted on the back of the bandstand, Chuck. So when you were playing, Billy Idol pushing his fist out with his glove no. and his fingers <laughs> out was, yes, it was right behind you when you were playing. And so, oh, of course, Prius Monster being a lovely band that it is, we had to do Rebel Yell. You've got to uh, play yeah. the Rebel Yell when you're playing and the Rebel Yell. Exactly. Did you tear right? it apart or did you do it a respectable oh, job? I'm did sure you do it like, awful? I don't think we knew about respect. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more like a stiff bait. We tried cover. to do the best version we could. Do you know one of the greatest compliments Lonnie's Monster ever got was... Uh, we used to do the instrumental when Xander was in the band and Mike was in it. We used to do, what's the Almond Brothers song, the instrumental that we do? Uh, Melissa? Is it? No. Melissa, is, it, is that it? Uh, some girl's name. Mike, you played it. He doesn't know the name of it. Yeah. Neither do I. It was Jessica. Almond Brothers Jessica. And Dickie Betts was so flattered. He said, you know what? No, no bands cover our songs. And I felt sad for him. It's true. Nobody covers Almond Brothers. They're right? hard. Yeah, we did a good version of that. Okay, too. And you'll hear Struck and you hear the Grateful Dead covered by every band in America. But but the Almond Brothers, one of the greatest bands of all time in American history. No one covers their songs. People cover the band. They cover Bob Dylan. They cover Grateful Dead. They cover, obviously, Led Zeppelin. You know how many times I've heard a band cover led zeppelin especially whole lot of love it's not even that good of a song whole lot of love whole lot of rosie is a good song but whole lot of love's not that the whole lot of love is not even in the top 50 of led zeppelin songs you that's funny you say that because uh noodles and his band do whole lot of rosie we did all my brothers and it made dickie betts's day one time and that made me happy dickie betts is the guitar player and songwriter of the allman brothers one of the greatest american bands in history. You ever see the Allman Brothers, Chuck? No, 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 no. How would I have seen them? I think they they were already, um, Greg Dad, Allman was already, already doing solo dead? stuff <laughs> oh, by really? the time. Yeah. Mike, did you see the Allman Brothers? I never did see the Allman Brothers, no. I saw them two times, and they it was just amazing how many saw, Because, yeah, when I saw them, you're right, Chuck, and there was, Vicky Betts was in it, Greg Allman was in it, Jamorna with the, the guy was in it so there's only three original members but they still sounded the greatest but we're the only band to ever cover allman brothers 
Sorry, claim to fame. <laughs> Only band of note. Of note, yeah. the Club of Allman Brothers. So, you guys, I don't know what's going to happen if people don't want their kids to go back to school. What's your take, Chuck? Are your neighbors wanting their kids to go back to school? Is everybody back to school in HB? Ocean View School District, which is uh, Huntington Beach and like parts of Westminster and Garden Grove and stuff, they're, they're getting everything back on track. And it, it looks like people want to be doing, by the end of the month, they're going to be doing like, you know, five days a week. And, and, uh, and there's some people that are still scared, but I think these people have been working on building up that fear and holding on to it. And they're, they don't want to like, they're like holding their breath and they don't want to start breathing in case they have to hold their breath again. You know, and I, I get it. It's been, it's been a weird ass time. Anybody that thinks it hasn't been is just, I, I mean, it, it's been weird and it's been strange to watch the way people react and act. And some people are so scared that they act out and they're still not believing any of it's real. And other people are so scared that they're, they're, they're still getting groceries delivered, you know? So it's just like, does your boy Tito believe it's real or does he believe it doesn't <laughs> exist? <laughs> and he will, he will forever you know be your boy trust me. <laughs> okay um i'll need to tell him that he's my boy if i ever see him I'll, I'll make sure to let him know he uh i i don't know what his get his whole get down is is strange it's it's way up in the in the q thing of that this has just been you know the idea of so, scare, I mean, yeah i know scare is, so is it real is, or is it not real oh, that like it's real but that it's been you know they're created whole by is man it, is that it's whether it's created by man or is, is isn't isn't the the talking point the talking point is is it was it was this minor illness that was trumped up to uh scare people and to get them to do things they don't need to do and that it was a sex successful experiment and that we've all been lab rats in this giant experiment of the new world order and uh really I, 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 I told you. I, that's there what the you go. Mayor, the new world order. Wait a minute, Mike. Mike, because nobody knows who we're talking about right now, and I have to tell the listeners at home. This is the mayor of Huntington Beach, California. I, I don't think he is anymore. I think he's just city council again because he was mayor pro tem. Yeah, he was the mayor. What happened? Yeah. They, the, well, he he wouldn't go into meetings because he had to wear a mask. He so he wouldn't go in when they were meeting. And oh, I didn't read this. So he's not the, he's not in charge anymore. I don't I don't think he is. That's I'd heard something about that, and it was just kind of like, yeah, who cares? You know, I. So for all <laughs> of you at at, at home, uh, you know, that don't live in California or don't know what we're talking about, there's a guy named Tito. He's a friend of Chuck's. I think they were roommates <laughs> back in uh, 2005 when they were going yeah. through the QAnon studies at uh, Chapman College. <laughs> we were, we, uh, that's where we invented it. <laughs> right before so, I, I put together Tito, my plan to get Trump in office. Tito right. is the guy who's, who protests all the time. He's a protester at the pier and then he and then he refused to wear a mask and then he somehow bullied his way to be mayor pro tem, whatever that's called, mayor of Huntington Beach, which is it, you know, my mother-in-law always says, Bob, you should run for something. You're such a good talker. And I was thinking, like, if that guy could be mayor of Huntington <laughs> Beach, like, maybe there is, a, there is hope for me. Uh, I, I there bet hope? there is. I bet, I bet there, there is. is. If you got out there and started telling truths, like, it was funny, Amy brought it up the other day, where her sister didn't even know about pressed pills, what, what that is. Because we assume that everybody knows this stuff because we talk about it all the time. 
And just because your kids are good or involved in sports doesn't mean they're not going to be offered these things. So if you went out there on sort of, I want to educate the public and I want parents to know what to look for and what to talk about with their kids that, you know, I understand wanting to be adventurous, but taking a pill when you don't know what it is could be the very end. Well, I've Uh, just been telling parents, just assume your kid's on drugs. If a parent is thinking, I wonder if my teenager's on drugs. They probably are. Just by asking the question, they are. Right. Right. Because and, you don't normally have that thought. If and you so have I that get this thought, text. I can. get this text today. So that's one component. I think most kids are on drugs, but you know, majority of it's weed. Uh, Doctor Juice texted me today. What is California sober? And oh, I was like, oh, Demi Lovato. It's weed. It's weed and alcohol, right? Once in yeah. a while, right? California sober. I've just never been uh, attracted to harm reduction because that wouldn't have worked for me. I, I'm only attracted to abstinence-based. Uh, otherwise, I'll just get out of the game. But it works. The people, I'm sure if she can stick to weed and drinking once in a while or whatever, she's not going to OD and die and find herself a ventilator again. I guarantee you that. Unless she drives with Tiger Woods. Uh, you, I have to hit this because you brought this up before where it's like, we know that in our audiences or in our uh, client base, there are people that are not addicts, that are not alcoholics, that got, okay, those are the people that California Sober will work for. I know, the people so that are screen them out. Because let's, those are the people that that would work for, and that's probably half of them, unfortunately. Um, but the people like me, the people like you, the people like Mike, um, it, it, if I could have just drank beer and smoked weed, I, that's all I would have done. I, I would have been fine. Drink. I can't drink. I, I never Me neither. Drink. I believe that true opiate addicts don't like weed. Like, I never liked weed. Mike can testify to this. I, could, I, I just couldn't handle it. It was too, I just, too crazy. I take my clothes off. I like I space out. I I, I think ukuleles sound good. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just like it's not a good drug on me. So, and then I've talked to hundreds of addicts who are you know consider themselves heroin addicts before the oxycontin and all that. Hundreds who said, "Yeah, I don't like weed." Right. Then I have this other group of friends that love weed, smoked weed their whole lives, and then added heroin. And, and two of them then subtracted heroin and have never done heroin again in decades. There you go. So, I know. I, so Mike and I so, have several friends that are lifelong. Hold on, Bob, smokers. though. They were, they were sober for a period of time, though. I know who right. you're talking about. And you said that they, you, have to, you have to include that they were sober for a number of years, completely sober. And then went back to weed. I couldn't do it because I I don't handle weed very good. And I don't and so I'm guessing that people who really love heroin like I do don't like weed. All right, you guys. All right. Have a good night. Callie Cali sober. Callie nice sober. Nice talking to you, bro. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595- 0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.